We had fully planned out our trip to Midway City as we took the train. As soon as we got off the Coast City Express, we held our heads up skyward for a glimpse at the winged wonders we hoped to see. Instead, we saw an unfamiliar sun and a planet looming on the horizon. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. So, interesting note about what we're covering today. We're covering the year of 1963 to 1964, a couple months into 1964, for Hawkman and Hawkgirl. We have covered two of the stories already in other episodes of the podcast while covering other characters. The other stories that we're going to be covering, two of which will have a character from another, from other episodes that we cover normally that we will probably get to eventually. Uh, that sounds confusing, but when we kind of work through it, it will make more sense. There's a couple things in these stories that I kind of want to get to that I think will be kind of fun in the sense of the implications for the DC universe. Um, these are all written by Gardner Fox because the Hawks and uh, Adam Strange and the Justice League and a couple other uh, characters are being written by Gardner Fox right now. Um, it will make sense why that is the case as we continue to go through these. Um, but if we just jump right into it, uh, okay, yeah, okay, we're ready, Joanne. Thank you. Um, the first story that Hawkman and Hawkgirl appear in in 1963 is actually the Atom number 7, June-July 1963. This story we covered in our Atom coverage. Um, it is the uh, cosmic camera storyline where the tiny miniature aliens are taking pictures with a giant camera that they that projects onto a small map of Earth, a small globe, and then when they do stuff to the globe, it happens to the planet in real time. And Hawkman and the Atom, this is their first team up, and they stop these aliens from doing this um the next story is a new story uh however it is mystery in space number 87 november 1963 um ira quimby or iq as his friends call him is a kind of mid-level not so good thief crook and um his friends don't believe him that he's going to come up with some sort of scam of the century that's gonna you know really take the world by storm while visiting a museum, like criminals do, when they're trying to find things that they're going to steal, he gets a stroke of inspiration while looking at a uh, very specific uh, installation in the museum that he's like, hey, what if I do this, 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 and this? I can pull off a great heist. Does these things that he thinks about and ends up heisting a truck full of art meant for the Midway City Museum, which is where Carter and Shaira, Hawkman and Hawk Girl are uh curators if you remember um since it's been a while since we covered the hawks hawkman and hawk girl are police officers from the planet thanagar that have come to earth to study our methods of police detecting and you know policing our our criminals and our public um they routinely go between earth and thanagar and uh they're just here there's there's a police commissioner who is aware that they are aliens but other than that they run a museum and things are great um uh, Hawkman and Hawkgirl see that this, you know, shipment has been stolen. They get on the case. They start kind of going around and trying to track down these criminals. They end up going to another museum uh, run by someone that you may know, Adam Strange, who is actually an anthropologist that we just kind of forget about a lot of the time. 
because we skip between stints where he's on Earth to go back to Ran. Um, we actually see Adam Strange running a museum or at least running some sort of exhibit in the museum that they're talking to him during this whole situation. Would it be fair to say that this is the most we've seen Adam Strange not just out of costume, but out of combat? Yeah, this is the most we've ever seen Adam Strange do his day job that he apparently has um, that we never see him do pretty much anymore. Like He used to be on digs. And that would be his excuse to, like, Zeta Beam to Ran. And he's dropped all pretense of that once he got the jetpack and he just flies wherever he wants and goes to Ran. Um, so Adam Strange is not actually really an important character in the story. It's just important to note that Adam Strange is in this story as a minor character who shows them around um, the museum. We're going we're gonna to come to the only reason Adam Strange is actually in the story. The more that they track down Ira Quimby using birds because the hawks are able to communicate with Earth's avian population. Um, they track him down, they arrest him, and they find out that while he was in the museum, the exhibit that he was looking at was a stone that Adam Strange brought back from Ran because it's of alien origin. They don't really know where it's from. They just notice that it's not from Earth because they use their detective skills from Thanagar to be like, this is not, uh, you know, a natural Earth rock. And it is the rock that Adam Strange used to get super smart <laughs> accidentally one time. And they had to, like, de-evolve him in one of his stories. They covered that in an Adam Strange issue, which is also a mystery in space because Adam Strange does not have his own book. He only appears in mystery in space. And he takes the shard and brings it with him to Earth to display in the museum. And both Shire and Carter are like, huh, Adam Strange doesn't seem perturbed that we've told him that this rock is of alien origin. I wonder what's going on with that guy. And we only really see Adam Strange from the side and the back. We don't actually see him with full frontal shots. And it's used to kind of make him appear very mysterious. Um, but that's kind of how the story ends is that they, you know, arrest Ira Quimby, who is not really just like, he's nothing any, he's nothing special. They get rid of him, but it is all sort of this weird sort of setup to show that the Hawks have finally met Adam Strange. Did we actually cover that issue in our coverage, uh, of Adam Strange? I believe we did the issue where he gets really smart and then Alana's like, oh, you're not the Adam that I know anymore. Yeah, it's exactly that. Uh, the reason that this stuck out most to me and I, I got over-enthusiastic about uh, calling it out was this is peak Gardner Fox because it's not just at some point. It is, this is effectively like a... This is a Gardner Fox two-parter, kind of, where the first story in the issue is uh, him having the rock and the, or being super smart and stuff happening that imprints the rock. And the second half is, oh, and then we, uh, the, hawk, the Hawks deal with the rock. We're going to keep seeing crossovers, crossovers in the sense of crossovers and not in the sense of a shared universe. This is sort of peak Gardner, look how smart I am, Gardner Fox. Look at this cool idea that I had. Aren't I smart? Right. Um, the second story we're going to cover is, uh, or the next story, rather, is Mystery in Space, number 88, December 1963. Mavis Trent, I don't know if you remember her. Mavis Trent is the naturalist who shows up at the museum in Midway uh, frequently, who's got a crush on Carter as well as Hawkman. Um, she shows up, um, gets a haircut, changes her hair from to, to red because she feels like today's the day. 
to feel what it's like to be a redhead. Meanwhile, all over the city, most electronics and most machines are just reversing what they do normally. So, for example, Shaira's iron is now making things really cold. Or bank vaults, instead of being closed, are now just opening. And it seems like there's a pair, or rather a group of criminals who are counting on this because they start robbing a bank vault that just opens up on its own. Um, Hawkman gets wind of this and is concerned and he goes out and starts to do Hawkman police things. While he's gone, and while Shaira is gone, the door to the secret hideout of the Hawks opens. While Mavis Trent is walking through the museum and she notices it, goes inside... And in a very Gardner Fox moment, he belittles the female gender by saying, and Mavis can't help, you know, can't help herself and cannot resist playing dress up. And Mavis puts on the Hawk Girl outfit because she realizes that this is the Hawkman and Hawk Girl's hideout um, and suspects that Carter and Shire are Hawkman and Hawk Girl. Carter comes in as Hawkman sees Mavis dressed up as Hawkgirl because her hair is red, thinks that she's Hawkgirl, and drags her along in this case where they find the person who is reversing all the technology. Mavis is basically more of a handicap to him than anything because she is not Shaira. She's not a trained police officer in combat uh, specialist like Shaira is. And <laughs> Hawkman has to solve the whole situation himself. Finishes up. Realizes that Mavis has been masquerading as Hawkgirl because r the real Hawkgirl shows up and she's like, who's this chick dressed up like me? And he's like, wait a minute. You've sucked all day. Maybe it's because you're not your Mavis. Oh, crap. And Mavis is like, well, I'm going to go to the police commissioner and get to the bottom of this. And the Hawks go to the police commissioner and they're like, you got to run interference. Just come up with some stupid thing. Okay? Just, just tell her that whatever. And... The commissioner ends up telling Mavis that Hawkman and Hawkgirl are not married, therefore they cannot be Carter and Shaira Hall, because Carter and Shaira are married. And she's like, oh, well, okay, that means it's great, it's okay for me to hit on Hawkman. And that's what, that's what she gets out of the interaction and leaves. Not like, I'm going to stake out the museum now because I know their secret hideout is in the museum. She's like, oh, great, Hawkman's single, this is the best, which is very Gardner Fox. Yeah. And, and Shaira's like, well, technically, no. You know, I don't wear a wedding ring because on Thanagar, we denote being married by earrings. And I think the real Pete Gardner Fox bit of that is it's a callback to an like however many issues ago. And it comes in as the resolution. It, it is portrayed as the resolution to this portion of the story. The how are they going to overcome this? Did did the commissioner lie? No, it's completely... He told the truth. It's just, here's this bit of backstory that you would remember from our, six months ago in our coverage, from however many issues ago in in the time. It It's very Gardner Fox. Um, the next story, uh, Brave and the Bold, number 51. That is uh, January 1964. Happy New Year, everybody. Um, this is another story we covered, and... Our other coverage with Aquaman. This is the story of uh, Hawkman and Aquaman fighting Tyros, the giant griffin, lion, lizard, hippogriff thing that was also in Atlantean at one point that terrorizes Atlantis, takes control, puts Shaira under his mind control, and Hawkman and Aquaman and uh, Aqualad have to fight Shaira and Tyros. Um, we cover that story in depth in the Aquaman uh, content. We're not going to go over that again, but suffice it to say, they're not getting a lot of them-focused 
stuff. They are sharing the screen a lot of the time with other heroes who are in the Justice League or like Adam Strange. The next story we're going to hit is Mystery in Space number 89, February uh, 1964. A photojournalist with a souped up motorcycle bike that's like very much like if Q made a criminal motorcycle bike for James Bond um, is essentially committing crimes and then showing up to report on them. And eventually, as he's doing this, he realizes that Hawkman's going to get on his trail. So he books a photo shoot with Hawkman and then tries to commit a crime elsewhere in town while Hawkman is otherwise engaged. It doesn't work. It's kind of a, it's kind of a lame story comparatively. Um, I mean, not that the one with Mavis pretending to be Hawkgirl was, was particularly astounding, but it's just, it felt very bland. It felt very, um, (laughs) one of the two stories in a Flash comic. Yeah. One of the throwaways that, like, Kid Flash would deal with and not a very big, important story. But I guess that's what happens when you are one of the stories in Mystery in Space and not, you know, the big story like we are going to see in the next one. One of the things that's weird about that, though, is, like, when we were covering Green Arrow, that was a thing that we called out. These were, they were six-page stories, and they were the tertiary story of the bunch, and they moved so quick, there was never any space spent on, like, pacing or time to breathe. It was just, okay, here's the story, and it's wrapped up in a neat bow, and it's done. But... Hawkman gets pages like it he is it is one of two stories and he gets like on average like what 12 pages per story somewhere around there uh minimum minimum 12 I think sometimes he's had two parters and then Adam Strange gets a one parter in the same issue Mm -hmm. it's the fact that there isn't a world being built out and there isn't the excuse of page count to justify it yes it just it, it all feels very compact for no reason yeah um again conversely though they seem to be trading page count off with adam strange short hawkman stories end up being because there are big adam strange stories in the same the same magazine who knows however that won't be a problem in the last story that we're going to cover right now which is mystery in space number 90 march 1940 this is the last one we're covering for this episode this is a team-up. This is the whole book of Mystery in Space. Um, meanwhile, on RAN, Adam Strange and Alana are hanging out. They're doing whatever it is they do when they're on RAN. I guess he's she's, he's waiting for her to cook him some super special meal that she's been trying to cook forever. Halfway through their meal, uh, Alana's father, Sardath, informs them that another planet has appeared in their solar system directly on their orbital path and is in a a collision course with their planet. That planet that has appeared suddenly is Earth. Earth has somehow shown up in the same solar system as Ran and is about to collide with Ran. Adam Strange is like, well, this is awful and strange and confusing. We have to get to the bottom of this. So him and Alana go off to go investigate. Meanwhile, we keep seeing shadowy cutaways to a man named Oron Drag, who is some Ranian on the planet who is... Apparently, behind all of this, he's figured out how to manipulate Zeta Beams, like Sardath has. And what he has done is essentially brought Earth to the solar system to use in what I can only describe as a big gun. So he's taking things off of Earth now that it's closer. Like, I don't know, the Roman Colosseum, 
the Iwo Jima Memorial and the Sphinx and using them as projectile weapons at Adam Strange to the point where the Sphinx and the Roman Colosseum get destroyed by getting collided with each other in an attempt to kill Adam Strange. And in my mind, I go, did we just lose two giant national monuments in one bad guy? Like, he just destroyed the Colosseum and the Sphinx. We just lost two major, <laughs> like, architectural, historical things on Earth. Okay, from now on, Earth 1 in the DC Universe doesn't have a Sphinx and a Roman Colosseum anymore. Not only that, but he threatens to take Lake Erie, and he suspends it above Rand so that it gets frozen in space, and then threatens to lower it slowly so that it will collapse and fall on Ranagar, the capital of Rand. Meanwhile, on Earth, the Hawks are like, wow, a lot of weird stuff is happening. We're orbiting a different planet, or a different sun now. This is strange. Let's figure out what we can do, because thank God our spaceship, which is in low orbit over the planet, also got teleported with us when our planet was teleported. They go into their ship, uh, they fly, and they go, oh look, another planet in the solar system. They use their weird uh, head technology to kind of like inform them what's going on on the planet. They learn a little bit about Ran, and they go down to Ran to see if they can help. On Ran, Adam Strange's Zeta Beam radiation wears off, and he gets transported back to Earth, which is now in the same solar system, and he realizes he can just fly to Ran. So he does. Alana gets him on Earth. They fly from Earth back to Ran. They encounter the Hawks, and they kind of do like a, hi, we're from Earth, but we're also Thanagarian, and you must be from Earth, and your name is Adam Strange. Oh, we know you. Don't tell him that we're Carter and Shira. We know you. We've heard of you. You're, you're a, a famous archaeologist and anthropologist. Uh, what are we doing here? And they kind of team up to defeat Orton Drag because the planet's orbits are speeding up at a faster and faster rate. And they keep referring to some scientific principle that says, like, if they're within, like, 100,000 miles of each other, their their gravity is just going to rip the planets apart. So that's the, de the deadline is they have to stop it before they get too close and the proximity just ruins both planets. They end up confronting Orin Drag. He destroys his Zeta Beam machine before they can stop him. And he's like, now, if I can't be, you know, ruler of Rand, then both planets shall die. And they essentially develop, like, a, a, a gun that removes Zeta Beam radiation. And they just kind of shoot it at Earth. And the planet goes back. But the Hawks and Adam are still on Rand. But the Hawks have their Thanagarian ship, which I guess is, has light speed capability because, you know, Ran is supposed to be like, you know, 250 trillion miles away um, from Earth, which is why the Zeta Beam, you know, technology was so important. And Alana's like, well, it's just a shame you have to go. And Adam's like, you can just come back with me. And she just kind of like looks at him. And for the first time, Alana is now going to go back with Adam Strange to Earth and Adam, you know, could have stayed on Ran because he, he got to it without the Zeta Beam radiation. But now Alana's going to come with him to Earth. And the Hawks are basically giving them a lift back home. And that's where the issue ends. And it was kind of it was kind of cool that we got that little bit of an ending of like this new, ooh, what's going to happen next sort of a thing. So that is the end of our summary coverage. A couple things I want to talk about there. First, obviously, 
Gardner Fox is so smart. Look at him using this rock. Um, <laughs> with you pointing out that it is the same issue that Adam that Adam uses the rock and brings it home, and then the next story is the Hawks encountering that rock. It makes sense. But I like to point out that it is the first time, aside from villains in JLA, or World's Finest, Batman and Superman, or Flash or Green Arrow or Green Lantern, that an artifact, a MacGuffin, from one story is being used in another. Completely independent of the character who first found the MacGuffin. I think that's one of the key bits, because it's not just a character or a villain and i think that's a the villain is would be the closer to this but this is part of the world this is this is the closest to just a shared world moment that we've gotten because it's not it's not a major character it's not even someone whose relationship is defined by their rela- or who is defined by their relationship to the main character it's not like oh i bumped into like Robin bumping into Jimmy Olsen is like, okay, that's yeah. that you are bumping into Superman by association. But this is something that is set up in one and and is brought into another character's orbit. Uh, it's I, I would almost I would almost equate it to a less attached version of, say, Aquaman finding kryptonite in the ocean. Yes. So Aquaman finding kryptonite mm-hmm. is a dire- is finding something directly associated with a character. I would say for contemporary readers, the closest thing might be the Flash finding the Tower of Fate. Yeah. An object that a, an, an object or a location that is not directly related to specific characters but is used by other characters or exists in the world independent of those characters and one character running into it or i mean the mandalorian from the show the mandalorian finding a lightsaber uh for those who aren't familiar with the term that i used earlier a macguffin is usually the the specific item for lack of a better term uh you have your ark of the covenant the um the unobtainium from the avatar james cameron avatar movie um the crystal skull from indiana jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull uh it it is the objective it can be a person it can be an object but usually a macguffin is a thing that everybody is trying to do something around um the briefcase in pulp fiction is a macguffin um so the rock that adam that turns adam strange really smart could in theory be used to turn somebody else really smart like we see in the mystery in space story with with the hawks it turns a criminal really smart um i guess yeah the helmet of fate you know dr fate's helmet is technically a MacGuffin that could be passed between characters it doesn't necessarily have to be um related solely to the character dr fate because dr fate can be anyone as long as the helmet accepts you so little things like that um Second, I want to talk about, because uh, we already talked about Adam Strange appearing as an also-ran in the Hawkman story. Hey, it was just like, oh yeah, Adam Strange. Hey, also yeah, it ran. was a very, it was a, it was a, it was a very wink and a nod to like, aren't I smart? Because Gardner Fox, you, you really are, but you just want people to acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
The second was the fact that I really felt like the last story made me keep reading because I wanted to know what happened. Yeah. I wanted to know how they were going to get out of this. I wanted to know what was going on. And now I want to read the next mystery in space because I want to know what happens to Alana and Adam. Because Alana's going to go to Earth for the first time, and that's a big deal. Not to mention now that the Hawks know him. Is he going to show up in more Hawks stories or, or stuff like that? Um, that was actually genuinely really cool that I felt myself going like, well, now I want to keep reading because I want to know what happens. Aside from plot-heavy Justice League stories or Green Lantern or Flash or something like that, this is the first time I've wanted to read a non-character titled mag because I wanted to see what was going to happen. Which is so interesting to me because, again, Adam Strange and the Hawks don't have their own books yet. They are still um, appearing in Mystery in Space. And that's fascinating to me that Gardner Fox is just writing these as if they are single character headliners. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool. And it is both interesting to note the, the like Matt said, the shared universe continuity that is being built here. In a Hawkman story, we have the fact that now Alana is going to Earth for the first time. A story in which both heroes are sharing the spotlight. They are, he is doing character development for both of them. Because now the Hawks can speak Ran, can speak Ranian, because that's part of them learning about the planet. They also know about Zeta Beam technology now, and they also know about Ranagar. And Adam Strange is now outed because Earth doesn't really know much about Adam Strange or what he does. So the Hawks know about Adam Strange. And Adam now is bringing his girlfriend to Earth for the first time. Or really, she's going to be there with him. Because uh, he he definitely had that one story where he, he thought someone was Alana and it was really not. So I just liked that Gardner Fox was trying his, his best at putting in some solid narrative beats and some solid character development that i hope will carry on if this was martian manhunter these moments wouldn't matter but i'm curious because gardner fox cares so much about trying to do things be they good or bad i'm wondering if he's going to be allowed to kind of start fleshing out random thanagar because that is a pivotal relationship later in the history of dc comics is the rand thanagarian war that's that's all really I wanted to bring up. It, it was a lot of there was less content to talk about because there were those those couple issues where we were just rehashing stuff we'd already covered. But in the three or four issues that we did cover, it was some interesting stuff. First, I just want to I can't let go of this. Also, ran was so good. Yeah, it also ran. <laughs> yep. Oh god, I lost my shit at that. Um, I didn't. I didn't even intend to do that. But then, like when you mentioned, I was like, ah, yeah. <laughs> It was so funny. good. It was so good. Like that's that's the ultimate put down. Oh yeah. But uh it's interesting because that last story is the only time I felt like Gardner Fox or any of these stories were broadening the world. Like the way I have I I've sort of categorized it is these are crossover stories in the sense that it's just a crossover episode one one where like if if you were to see it on tv it's like oh this is clearly like a holiday special the kind of thing Mm -hmm. where you don't mind it doesn't matter if you miss it it's just for the fun of it 
Uh, the writers have clearly said, all right, here's a thing that can exist. It's not going to have any repercussions on either of our uh, ongoing storylines. This is just a thing that we can do for fun. And then there's that. And that story does change that angle because it does have the potential to really upend the status quo, mainly for Adam Strange. But these are definitely stories that are... Well, I mean, you've heard us gripe about this the last, really, I guess the last like five or so episodes, it's often felt like there hasn't been the world getting further built out. It's more just here are things where they're re where Gardner Fox is reusing elements from the past from past episode issues and bringing them in as story seeds rather than adding things that we know are going to get that are clearly pushing the world in a broader sense. The way I kind of think of it is these crossovers and most of the stories in general that we've covered today are not meant to make the world feel lived in. Specifically, even though these are relatively long stories, generally, not always, but often, there's no supporting cast. Here, here it is. I don't even remember her name. Uh, the Mavis. Yeah. Uh, her and the police commissioner show up in one issue. Uh, mm-hmm. The interactions, I guess, we get a page where Carter and Shaira interact with uh, the Adam and his girlfriend, and that's it. There's no a. There's no like time really of carter and shaira in their civilian garb there's none of that world being built out there's no interactions with the broader world of the other uh people that they're crossing over with these are stories that are discrete in the sense that they are individual like modular isolated they don't have an impact on anything else except for this last one and that could change all of that and we we haven't read what comes next for Adam Strange, so we don't know. And the other side of it is, like, it may even be unfair for me to be slagging, uh, to be saying that here are all these stories where Gardner Fox gives up all these opportunities to expand the world. Well, we've only read five issues? Six? I don't even remember. Math. <laughs> uh, but not a ton. And as a result, is it really fair to say that he isn't pushing it forward when if we got two issues uh, or two stories of Green Lantern that expanded things in like a year's worth of content, we call that like, okay, cool. Here's something cool. We pushed it forward. Uh, is one out of six too few? All I know is for all that there are these crossover moments, they feel inconsequential. And as a result, it feels like a letdown to me, especially because I come from the tr- we as a comics reading culture have been sort of uh, accustomed to crossovers being the big events, the the maxi series. You've got Batman, no, Batman, No Man's Land uh, back in the 90s or late 2000s, I don't remember which. Uh, and then anytime Marvel does any kind of story arc, it's we'll pull in a couple different books all together and things will happen and nothing will be the same. So maybe it's unfair to say maybe we're bringing unfair expectations. Maybe I'm bringing unfair expectations to crossovers 
Well, there's also, you have the experience of the Green Lantern, Green Arrow series, Hard Traveling Heroes, which yeah. is the whole series is the pair of them. And Flash and Green Lantern. Like, right. the the thing that stands out to me is that, uh, and this was what sort of cemented the idea of the discrete crossovers as compared to what Flash and Green Lantern do, where they are interacting in both their civilian identities and as their superhero identities. They bring along uh tom they bring along thomas they bring along iris Iris and everybody's there it's and they're spending time like that uh it just it's such a different experience and it's written by the same guy largely it's they are not just green lantern flash comics they are also hal and barry stories yes they are the civilian identities interacting at the same time yes it would be different if Adam Strange now goes to Thanagar, mm-hmm. or if Carter and Shiras are hanging out with Gene and Ray Palmer, you know, they, we don't have, go, you know, issues of, you know, the Hawks going back to Thanagar. You know, we're not talking about them being Thanagarian police officers. We, we have to be reminded of that in the narrative boxes. Um, yeah, we're reminded of that, but we don't actually see them calling home or doing Thanagarian things or have, we're celebrating Thanagarian holidays. It, there's no setup of them going like, hey, we're starting to get the hang of this museum curator business. You know, they're running day jobs that are not what they normally do. If the two of them were cops, you would think they'd adjust better. But now they're supposed to be historians for a planet that they didn't grow up on. You know, and sure, they have their uh, device that allows them to see the history of the planet. That's not the same. Just interesting. So... One of the early stories mentions the uh, the American District Telegraph Company uh, as oh they detected that there was a robbery going on it it was when uh, the electricity was reversed uh, that's what mm-hmm. it was and I was like you know what I'm I'm just gonna take a look at that and you might it's interesting because a you might better know it as ADT the home security system what's also interesting there is. It was founded by a guy named Edward A. Callahan, who invented the stock ticker, which lets stock prices and instructions to buy or sell be communicated faster instead of having to rely on a courier to say, hey, this is the price that things are at right now, and then sending back a message, buy, sell, whatever. So that was kind of cool. Apparently, at one point, his house was getting robbed, and he had the idea to set up a telegraph-based alarm service. How about that? This is something I'm going to need to think about. I don't have an answer on this one. I guess running theme of the night. Uh, We got radiation as the thing that just kind of explains what happens. Uh, Specifically, radiation was making birds fly in unexpected uh, migratory patterns. Uh, I think this was uh, Adam number seven. Uh, And... There was a block of time right around here where the X-Men come out. And in fact, yeah, I think it's either this year or the year following this comic. I think 1963, X-Men come out and you can explain superpowers with, oh, radiation, children of the atom, they're mutants. Uh, But coming back to that idea of radiation and we kind of throughout these stories often get these moments where, oh, there's a radiation that's doing it. And I don't know what's taken its place, I guess, except beyond just mutation. What I mean is 
you think about how radiation is the catch-all in the same way that we talk about like silver age magnetism being radiation can do it radiation made a spider by that bit peter parker imparts the powers all that good stuff and i don't know if it's just that we understand radiation better as a society and cultural mainstream that oh this is like dangerous and unhealthy generally cancer uh or if it's that cinema stin style snark just kind of picks holes and things like that and it needs to be the explanation for a thing needs to be either sufficiently nebulous and oh this could cover anything like mutants i i don't know what it is but i wonder is there anything that is sort of our corresponding this is the go-to explanation or do we not have that and we're just not in a cultural milieu where that is possible right now i don't have a good answer to, to be honest, we see fewer and fewer super-powered characters being made, which is generally due. I can't tell you the last character who was new, who came out, who was super-powered, who wasn't aping the gimmick of somebody else, who wasn't, um, you know, the new, uh, new Green Lantern or uh, the new guy who was the Hulk somehow became the Hulk as well. And it was a radiation thing because of the Hulk's blood. Or just like I can't the tell generic, you like, I have super strength and super durability at a moderate level. Yeah. And that's just kind of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is, it, it's very rare now that we see a character who has extraordinary superpowered abilities that do not derive from somebody else's origin huh we're seeing a lot more grit spit and duct tape characters than we are seeing superman yeah and i think if we do see any people who have extraordinary powers they're usually magic based because magic is easily disguised as the fantastic and we don't have to have an explanation for it it's magic it just works it's an interesting point yeah because as soon as you're willing to take magic on faith it's just like all right yeah and that this is part of the establishment huh Mm -hmm. yeah reasonable point this is i hope that there's a biography of gardner fox somewhere that i should look around there is it's on my way it's on my wish list it is i i have the name of it i haven't bought it yet but i have the name of it and i can tell you what it is right now the forgotten all-star a biography of Gardner Fox. Yeah. Oh, wow. And it's on Kindle for eight bucks. That is yeah. dead cheap. Nice. So the thing I especially want to get out of that is to what degree... I want to know why he's pushing the crossover stories and where he is pushing a shared universe, why he's doing it. Is it purely these are the stories that I want to tell or... I think we can tell better stories if we do this because it we sort of talked about Gardner Foxing in a couple different contexts throughout here. And I'm wondering whether he is just trying to, okay, these are these are my characters and I can come up with cool and interesting ways to put them together. Or is he actually like pushing the company as a whole towards it's not just the justice league it's here's what the justice league can do for us and how our we should make our entire line more like the justice league i i'm curious to know which of those it is 
the word I have is that uh, it's not that these are inventing the idea of a shared world. Uh, it's not that the crossovers are inventing any of that. It's that it's normalizing it. And I want to know if that's intentional or and other people are going to uh, just follow his lead on, because he's blazing that trail or if it's he's just doing it and other people are going to take it and run with it. Also, I've written down, uh, my name is Gardner Fox, and I confuse trivia for intelligence. <laughs> You're not wrong, unfortunately. Yeah. Also, there are some puns in here that they stretched for pretty hard. Uh, there's a point where it's just banter. He's Hawkman is just punching a guy. This fistful of dynamite will put an end to your explosive career. And it's not like the criminals were using explosives earlier. It's just... Eh, one thing I'd be curious, uh, can you look at your book, The Brave and the Bold issue that we read, does it say it's by Gardner Fox? Uh, DC Wikia was saying, uh, Bob Haney, but... No, no, you're right, the, the, uh, the writer of the, um, Aquaman and Hawkman crossover is Bob Haney, okay. and not Gardner Fox. So... Apparently, I, I did some poking around with uh, Brave and the Bold. Like, he's not even a regular contributor to the Brave and the Bold. He does a couple issues around this time, but he mostly does. I, yeah, uh, the thing that we're going to know Haney for best is he's going to, in like a year or two, he's going to write the first Teen Titan story. Uh, nice. But for now, like, he's mostly doing war, story, war comics. Uh, apparently, served at Okinawa. Uh, hmm. And. The art was by Howard Purcell, who apparently was mostly active in the Golden Age, did some work in anthology books in the Silver Age, all of which sort of sums out to, I don't think they were much involved in Hawkman or Aquaman stories. So that particular issue felt like a crossover written for the sake of a crossover rather than writing two characters who are meeting up. Hmm. It's actually a little interesting. Because of the timing of when this issue came out, like the most of the issue, like the eight issues before or thereabouts are the strange sports issues. Like if you see uh, there's like a cover somewhere, I think it's like an invisible man playing baseball uh, and someone like a ghost boxing and the other person like punching through his head. like Brave and the Bold is seems to be like an experimental ground. Like I, I may be misremembering, but either the first Justice League story with was uh, Brave and the Bold story, or or there was just another Starro uh, story in Brave and mm-hmm. the Bold. But it it seems like it's a crossover ish focused experimental ground but then you go a little further back and you've got a bunch of viking stories that aren't don't seem to be crossovers with anything so brave and the bold seems like a weird kind of experimental it seems like a comic in search of identity and honestly the hawks at this point seems similar in the sense that they are characters in search of a book because they don't get a lot of consistency yeah then I think that's about everything I've got. All right. Shall we move on to recommendations? I believe we shall. So I'm going to recommend something on YouTube that I really found enjoyable that are kind of just fun, light videos. They're a little long. They're anywhere between 10 to 15 minutes long. 
but they are uh, the Unraveled series on Polygon with Brian David Gilbert as the host. And they're very silly, but they're video game themed. If you're a big video game fan, uh, one of them includes all the OSHA regulations that the Super Smash Brothers met like stages break, <laughs> which is just very funny. Um, and he like eliminates a bunch of them or he's like the structure of Bowser's army and whether or not Mario is committing war crimes. Um, what is Kirby is like a 20 minute episode of him just going like, what the hell is this? How the Sonic games go against the actual published Sega Sonic Bible for the character and how it doesn't make any sense that there is an actual Sonic Bible that was written by one of the creators that the Sonic games do not follow. Um, it's it's fascinating. And some of them are just like silly where he goes like, I read every book in the Skyrim games, so you don't have to. And I'm going to tell you which ones are good enough to read. And like some of them, he's like, I'm not even going to suggest some of these that are just like manuals on how to do stuff in the game. He's like, I don't count those. There's also hundreds of history books that tell you about the history of the of like you know the Elder Scrolls world. I'm not counting those either. And so it's 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 kind of funny that he does some of that, or he goes like, uh, which Mortal Kombat character is probably emotionally available enough to cuddle? <laughs> and Aww. and he just kind of like goes through everybody. And it's it, they're just silly fun videos, but they they have been making me smile lately. And if you haven't checked them out, um, they are on polygons youtube channel um and they are just they have a playlist there's about 20 of them and they're just called unraveled with brian david gilbert and they're fun all right on my end i'm gonna recommend uh hemingway's article from his journalist days bullfighting is not a sport it is a tragedy Hmm. and to be clear he means in this case like capital t tragedy like rather than something to rather than something we should all regret it's here is this act of theater of storytelling here is the bullfighting as an act of storytelling god yeah no that's the right way to think of it i i have not been disenchanted with hemingway in the way that a lot of people are because i haven't read a lot of hemingway if i'm being 100 honest like the only I, I think old man in the sea and this and and a book of his journalistic writings are i think all of his stuff that i've ever really sat down and read probably something else but i don't remember but this particular thing in the absence of all of that other context is just beautiful it is in part because it is about beauty it is about the actualization of grace in the face of violence uh and there's no like especially since it is in the the 20s in the build-up to uh i guess not quite the build-up to world war ii yet but you know that that's in the background as an outside reader none of that is contextualized in here it's just here is this person talking about being swept away by his first experience seeing a thing that is sport but also has the added metaphorical weight of actual violence and it being both ways violence. Uh, he talks very matter-of-factly about, yeah, like, I think we saw two bullfights in the entire time we were in Spain that didn't have a serious injury. It doesn't flinch from the from the violence of it, but it also doesn't, it doesn't over-detail it. It doesn't glorify it. It just uses it to paint the picture. And it's a beautiful picture. And it's it's short. Like, it was printed in a newspaper. So, 
you can read it in five minutes. I highly recommend it. Um, also, two, there are two types of podcasters in the world, um, just based off those recommendations. just want everyone to notice the <laughs> stark difference between what we're, what we're both yeah, doing. I've, I've had my... I've recommended DBZA twice. Yeah, no, just just the difference of what we're both doing during the quarantine. Um, uh, I, I'm playing so many video games. Oh, we, not, we both are. And, and replaying the same things I've done a million times. I'm, I don't get any credit. I'm still making comics. I mean, like, it just, it's happening. Um, I think that'll do it for us for this episode, since we're not going to do a second episode of The Hawks, since we have gone from 63 to 64. We're going to be going to the next uh, character, which is... Please don't be Martian Manhunter. Mm. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. However, yeah. <laughs> however, we get to start the Metal Men this year. That's right. So, Oh, I'm looking forward to that. I have no exposure to that. I don't either, except yeah, for 52. So um, <laughs> that'll be cool. So I think they start in 1963. So we're going to look into that, see if we can start writing some Metal Men. Because after we cover, uh, once we do our next Justice League jump, pretty sure we're just going to hit Teen Titans first. Because Teen Titans starts in 1964, as does Doom Patrol. So, uh, we're getting we're getting to some new stuff soon, and it's going to be fun. Um, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for listening. We hope we're all doing well, and we will talk to you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. With Adam Strange and Alana headed home with the Hawks, we felt that we had had enough extraterrestrial hijinks for one visit. It wasn't until we realized what was next that we prepared to deal with another one of DC Comics' resident aliens.